Hey guys, welcome to Minefields. My name is Joshua Michael. This is my best friend in the whole world, Mr. Colin. How you doing over there in the Tulsa? I'm, I'm honestly pretty great today. Thank you for asking. No, I'm glad you're doing pretty great. It's been a while since you told me you're doing pretty great. It's not like you've ever been bad, but you definitely have had your frustrations lately, and I know you've had some frustrations reading some books this week. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I definitely was not. I was. I'm gonna say I was nonplussed with the books that I did pick out. Uh, it's, you know, there's the stuff that you're always going to read and it's going to be what it is. It's cool. But I didn't feel like there was an enormous selection of stuff that tickled my fancy. But, um, I also, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a week where I've been having to work. It's a week weekend where I've been having to work really late and it's hard to keep up with stuff at this point. Uh, we're going really hard in preparation of a major project. So it's just tough trying to find time to sit down and do it. And then I'm going places with guys from work for lunch. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have to start cutting out. I need to go. I need to be doing my reading. And I need to be working on my own damn book at lunchtime. I came to a major realization about how to get past a little writer's block moment I had today. And I was like, I can't wait to sit down and type this. So I take my computer with me to work tomorrow. Uh, yeah, it was a little frustrating. Uh, you know, we, we've been talking about the 2020 thing in Marvel and it's, it's important to me because I've been a fan of the machine man 2020, uh, quattro story. I don't know what to call it. It's a four, it was a four issue book. We have talked about it at least half a dozen times and referred to uh, it a bunch. Didn't. Barry Windsor Smith do the cover. You're talking about the one where the covers where the face just keeps getting more and more deconstructed. Yeah. Or it's actually building. They're rebuilding it. And when you look at like Guardians of the Galaxy and Iron Man right now, they are doing they're paying homage to that cover, which it's not like it's a watershed book of the 80s or anything. It's 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 just something that was it's a standout piece that in and of itself is just fascinating. It's the it's the sequel to the 18 issue run of Machine Man, or is it 19? I can't recall off the top of my head. When you go back and look at the original Machine Man run, it's very good initially. It's ju- it's perfect for its time, and then it 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 spirals out of control when the original creative team gets pulled off of it. And then it just comes to a sputtering stop. It's very disappointing. And then you don't really see Machine Man except in some very odd kind of like Hulk appearances or Iron Man appearances until Machine Man 2020, which is where if you've been reading Iron Man lately, you know Arno Stark is the Iron Man of 2020. Well, I I really love the organic fashion in which they've developed that character for the the concurrent storyline. And I think I'm going to say without having gone to any panel discussion or anything that I feel like the direction to maybe kill Tony Stark proper in civil war two years back at this point is part of uh, I think that's a, I think it's a, 
I'm going to say it's a happy coincidence. I don't think that they put that much thought into it. I think they figured they'd have him back by now. And then they were like, no, let's kill him off and keep him killed off for a long time so we can get Arno Stark in there and make him a villain Iron Man. So anyway, what I read here is that there. So Machine Man 2020 number one is my first book, and it was frustrating because it doesn't live up to what it needs to be. And was it? Was it like one of those books? And uh, I've brought this um, uh, analogy up many times before. Like when you're reading something like Age of Apocalypse, and it starts out Joe Maduria is doing the cover, Adam Kubert's doing all the in- internal work, uh, all, all the the big heavy hitters are doing like you know the the first couple things, and then it just trickles down, and then like the side characters, like uh, the side books, like Gambit, externals just sucked asshole and were written by these <laughs> D-lister guys and it was just silly and or no, oh, not wait a minute. Wait, I'm like, sorry. Are you talking about a cross title promotional event? Well, I'm, I'm just talking about, uh, I am talking about a cross title per, uh, yeah. one event, but I'm talking about how as, as the story progresses, when different stories happen, um, they give the, the helm to certain books to people that are not qualified or write a terrible story. Okay. Even though this is not a, a cross title uh, event. It's still a big event. Uh, and we've got little side shoots. Like, cause you see, we're going to get like, like machine man. One was one of the first ones that we got that was like peripheral to the main story of what's happening within uh, 2020. Yeah. I'm saying, did they give the helm uh, to machine man? Number one to someone that shit the bed. I, I, Okay, I don't think that it's – I wouldn't qualify this as shitting the bed. No. What I would say is that the guy – okay, it's Christos Gage. Christos Gage is the writer. Andy McDonald is the artist. Authentically, for how cartoony it looked, I got to say the level of detail and the absolutely packed with material panels were pretty extraordinary. It's a lot to do to make these like giant mass of – robots look different from one panel to the next, especially when they don't have faces. And the only thing that differentiates them is what they say, what, what, uh, X model number they are. So, um, uh, what, what, what my complaint is, it's still machine man is silly. And there was a beautiful – okay, so, I mean, it's Machine Man. He's trying to track down Jocasta. You have to have read uh, Iron Man 2020 number 21 f- – oh, wait, I'm sorry, number, tw- uh, number two first to really know what's going on. Jocasta right? is flying away. That is Machine Man's paramour. He comes off like a whining teenager all the time. Got to save my girlfriend. I got to figure something out. I got to deviate from the plan, even though they're counting on me. Yeah, exactly that kind of crap. I mean, it's it's obvious. And it's just like because all he wants is for her to just love him back. And she eventually like he has to go and fight a bunch of duplicates of him. Now, I'm not saying they're duplicates like Aaron Stack, Machine Man, where he's got a face and hair and Nothing really makes him stand out except for the big red eyes that he has. But what I'm saying is, like, these are recreations by Sunset Bane, who is the primary villain in the whole thing, um, who are X model number 
recreations. When you go back and read the original Machine Man books, he was X-51. And every time they activated one of the models, they became sentient and they eventually flipped out. And maybe they went on a kill crazy rampage or maybe they destroyed themselves. Maybe they just fritzed out and sputtered and died. It's like that montage in RoboCop 2 where they're introducing new RoboCops. And like, oh, yeah. It's, which was brilliant. And um, so Aaron Stack is Great the only thing. one that that worked because he saw the monolith from 2001. If you want to know about that, go look into our archives because I have talked to death about that entire thing. But what I'm getting at is that there shouldn't be any other X robots and sunset Bane recreated a ton of them, put in something that makes them not have the same logic ability as him. And so he's fighting all of them. He fights his way through them. He rips out the thing. He, there's now it's like, oh, AI rights, blah, blah, blah. And they're all like spreading through and ripping this thing out of each other so that they can be their own sentient Robot. life yeah. form. And I'm already looking at this and going, you guys have been beating this to death for months. And Star Trek Picard does it in like two episodes. Like how how is this? How is this this dragged out thing that you guys can't make seem like it really should matter? So, so then he finds Jocasta, and Jocasta shows him literally a panel that you would take from one of the later issues of Machine Man, <coughs> where he's talking to Doctor Stephen Spaulding, saying, "I just want to be a regular person, and I want to exist under the forms of the Constitution of the United States," and. And then it shows the next panel, and it's the Warren Ellis next wave version of Machine Man with the, like, Swiss Army knife, loads of gadgets and kill weapons coming out of every finger and whatever, and he's freaking out. Die, fleshy ones. And I'm just like, that is not what this should be. But that's what we've had for decades. And so it's awesome to see her chastise him for that. And then... The big reveal at the end is that he is the problem. He's not what he originally was. His software is jacked up so bad that he doesn't want to be human anymore. That was his original M.O. My impression is that this has got to be a machine man that was reactivated in this universe from another reality where things went totally different. And they, they did throw me for a loop because... At the end of the issue, Machine Man 2020 is there at Jocasta's side. That's who she's in love with because he's a machine man that we can respect. So I am hoping that by the end of this entire thing, that the goofy, idiotic machine man that we've been seeing is killed and that Machine Man 2020 takes over the helm of all Machine Man related stuff. So that was the first part of the book, right? So, a couple takeaways from what you're saying. Yeah. You're hoping that this new Machine Man is, well, the Machine Man that we're reading at the moment, is some parallel universe uh, in, in or in any way some sort of not the original one. That's what and I And he's going to get killed for off. a long time. He's going to get killed off, and they're going to bring back something more serious and something more pal- palpitable. Palatable. 
than what we're reading right now. That gets really silly because, like, it's not 1994 anymore. We don't need to see the big, cool robot guy have a Swiss Army knife of guns exactly. in each arm. Like, no, what, like, what, what I want is, like, there, there are few characters in Marvel Comics that are still operating under their original M.O. Like, the Hulk is an exploration of humanity. Machine Man is an exploration of what it is to be human. Iron Man is what is it to be too smart for your own goddamn good? Well, that's I think that's Reed Richards. Like Iron Man is what is it to be sidled or saddled with technology to keep you alive? What is it for Captain America? Is he more than human or is he the most human of us all? And essentially, I don't think that he is. I mean, I'm not saying that the shining beacon that he was made to be. I I get what you're saying. Yeah. I'm not saying machine man needs to be Lieutenant commander data, but I'm saying that the quest to understand what he is, is absolutely necessary. And he has made this daffy decision somewhere off panel years ago when I'm going to say Warren Ellis got his fingers on him and made him into something that's totally ridiculous. And it, it was cute and funny and awesome in that book. But we, we, are, we have to perceive the next wave situation as being apocryphal. I'm, I'm glad you brought the cute and funny part in because, like, uh, I have bitched many times in many different episodes about how things get too cute and quirky and funny and it just, like – Anything to do with Deadpool riding a unicorn, wanting a chimichanga. And, yeah. um, now, with Next Wave, um, do you feel that it was the inspiration for the type of stuff that pisses me off? Or would you reread Next Wave and be like, God, that was so – would you reread it and, and have second thoughts? I, I would – look, Next Wave is – Next Wave was supposed to be a, uh, an ongoing series, and it's about two trades worth. So I think it's about 12 issues. And it's hilarious. It is absolutely worth reading. I would go back and read that because I can read it for what it is, and I can have a hell of a time reading it. It's Elsa Bloodstone. It is Monica Rambeau, Captain in Marvel. Or former Captain Marvel slash Polaris. Uh, it is um, Boom Boom. What's Boom Boom? She's a mutant. She just bo- blows things up. Uh, she's the one with it. She's got those cool uh, old school Jubilee type uh, old yeah. guy that is wearing a pair of glasses over his other pair of glasses. Glasses. <laughs> Something yes. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a character called the Captain who has no <laughs> basis for reality. It's just like, hey, let's. There's got to be a Captain. And then it's Dirk Anger. <laughs> Dirk Anger, leader of, uh, of, of hate, of H-A- highest anti-terrorism effort, hate, <laughs> and he flies around in the Aero Marine, which is a giant submarine flying around. I mean, it is, it is a comic take on everything that Marvel has, because Next Wave was essentially supposed to be a, a parody of the Avengers, this all came out at the same time as like Marvel and Trouble and all of those things that we read about some time ago in the unofficial Marvel history, looking at how we almost couldn't take everything seriously anymore. And there was a trend. And I don't, I'm not going to say this was the most successful thing that came out of that time period, but it was definitely something that I feel like 
hit a nail on the head. And I'm telling you, if you want to read it, it's totally worth it. It's hilarious. It's fun. And we don't always have to take everything seriously. But at the same time, you know, I mean, yeah, Ragnarok may have been the most successful Thor movie. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel like I want to take Thor seriously. You know? Yeah. But uh, even then, like, I think one of the reasons why Ragnarok was the way it was was in response because – uh, part one and two were, well, especially part one directed by Kenneth Branagh was very serious and I, and, and honestly a little bit too serious. So it might be a little bit of a response to that. There's so much uh, comic I, relief in that though. Like they, they, it, you know, you throw in the I, Kat Dennings character and you've got all the, I, I remember watching that movie wondering I, or thinking about that movie for a while going, actually, what are they going to do? How are they going to make this work? Actually, I would say there's very little comic relief. I think just the ones that the, – the, the things that did happen really stuck out to you. Oh, uh, my God. Then, I remember the whole movie ex- is is more Thor, or less Thor, funny. Thor 1. Thor yes, 1. Yes. As soon as he gets to Earth, he gets hit by a car. As soon as he gets to Earth, he's in a hospital and he's like, I'm the mighty Thor. And then he gets a shot that KOs him. As, and, you then know, gets, and then he gets hit by an angel. It's silly. Yeah. But it's something you can take seriously because they give him his gravitas by the end of the movie. And he goes home where things are serious. And when it's funny, it's funny. When it's serious, it's serious. When it's romantic, it's romantic. They did it. They pulled it off. Maybe, it, maybe the problem here is, is you and I have never tried to write a Thor anything. That's true. We've never really wrapped our head around the idea of being no. able to pull that off. But there's we, gotta, we got to we got to have a good Thor story in us. Well, we we absolutely have to have a good Thor story in us. But like even then, uh, I wonder if these the the, the type of things that uh, came up in the last three movies uh, were things that we didn't know we were going to expect because we've had lots of trouble when we're talking about writing our our big Marvel idea mm-hmm. uh, many different times because. Uh, we're dealing with so many different characters and they're living inside of us and talking to us. And man, (laughs) the funny thing is that they're all D list characters. (laughs) Yeah. And I love it. I love it. I mean, like uh, it it makes me think of uh, some of my favorite, uh, what we're writing right now, guys, Uh, we're obviously not going to tell you. um, Yeah. Sorry folks. We've got a long way to go. Yeah. We're not picking D list characters for the sake of picking D list characters. We're picking these guys because we love them. <laughs> they're, yeah, exactly. They're not D-list necessarily. They're, they're, they're they are underutilized not. characters. And under great, great, great way to put it. Well, we feel they're go underutilized. Back and, we did talk to somebody that one time, and that was the term he used. And that was a moment where I was like, "You're right. Fascinating. I mean, that's I don't know why. It just we were like, are these M-list characters or are they? Yeah, you know, whatever. He was like, oh, you know, it, you've got a penchant for that. I'm still I'm surprised that he hasn't done any work with what we talked about. Not that he was going to rip I, us off. I agree. It's just that I, you, you I get into that business where you're like, is <laughs> somebody going to try to do something it. concurrently with this character that we want to do? You know, he he did get a little too excited about what we were talking about, and you saw, <laughs> and, and you saw that glisten in his eye, like, why haven't I done that? I, I should do so. this. <laughs> okay, so but, yeah, uh, we uh, could uh, be uh, totally po- telling everybody a complete line of crap, but if you want to know. You got to talk to us directly. Anyway, let's uh, so what I, before before we uh, step off, Machine Man. Uh, last oh, there's thing, there's one little bit left to say about it. Well, uh, the, the one thing I want to say is that I feel like what they do with any Jack Kirby character 
that was not a main Marvel hero, uh, they always fuck it up. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's. I don't, I don't know if they I don't know if I'd say they 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 fuck it up. I'd say. I wonder if there was a. I mean, dude, I automatically think conspiracy when you say something like that. Is there animus enough with? how he left the company that they would be like, no, we're going to mess with this thing. We're going to pick on it. I'm so glad. I would hate to think that's the case. Me too. Because when I, when you were talking about that, I was thinking about, uh, what if Vince McMahon was running, uh, Marvel and, and (laughs) what if Vince McMahon was running Marvel and was at the head of Marvel when Jack Kirby said, I'm out. And, and Vince is like, great, fine, leave. I'm just gonna take all your characters and bury them, <laughs> and the, the way he does the way he does with wrestlers that piss him off or that in any way disappoint him. Uh, I, I I I wonder if that's like a, the case or if some really shiny, bright-eyed uh, writer is. I want to. I've got this great idea for Machine Man. That gives him this like twelve issue like already the script's done, and then he gets it back with all these like redacted and red lines and cut out and be like, mm, I think he's a little too serious. We should make him a little silly here. And um, I get what you're saying. And I think I went a little bit too long to just uh, say I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last part of the issue, I didn't realize there was so much content. And there's a secondary story in there featuring some of my favorite cyberpunk characters from the Machine Man 2020 books, the Midnight Wreckers. I am so glad to see them in this to see that they exist in the main continuity, even if it's outrageous that it, that it would happen at all. And, uh, to see gears Garvin and Dr. Steven Spaulding still alive and still disagreeing with one another and being like tied. I just, I I just, I want to see, I want to see machine man interacting with all of those characters, like in the book, Originally, what I what, it, the thing is, it's like it's the power of nostalgia. Am I complaining about how good it was done in 1985 or whenever that came out? Or am I saying that if you're going to try to mesh it together, please do it better than this? That's what I'm getting at. If you've good got point. the opportunity to do this, then do it so right, because it's been sitting there waiting to happen. And there's. There are, there are people who are, I, I don't know who they are outside of me, but there are people who have been sitting there waiting to see what you could pull off with this. And here's your opportunity. Just don't dick it up. Anyway, uh, Tom DeFalco it's, wrote the, uh, the uh, second story in there. Um, and, who drew it? Uh, it was cool. What are the credits for the second story? Tom DeFalco, penciler, Mike Hawthorne, anchor, and Andriano De Benedetto. De Benedetto Benedetto, Benedetto and uh, colorist Eric Archinegra. Also, I didn't get to it. The colorist for uh, Computer Love Part 1 was uh, Dono Sanchez Amara. Uh, yeah, it's a Kirby character, man. I want to talk about the Fantastic Four. I forgot that oh, I read this yeah, one. yeah, man. Totally. Yeah, Fantastic Four number 19. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a inherent built-in love for, for Fantastic Four. Um, one of the first big plethora stacks of comics I got was when we were on the way to, um, we were driving from Montgomery, Alabama through Louisiana, Mississippi, through Texas. We went to Las Cruces, saw our family for like two weeks. 
drove through Arizona, got to uh, L.A., went a little bit south, and went and we saw my my godfather in L.A. and um, hadn't seen him in years. We we went down to uh, SeaWorld, stood the night again, went up through the Redwood Forest, uh, stayed the night there. Um, then we got to uh, uh, Portland. No, we got to yeah, we got to Portland, and then and then in Portland, uh, he he has a like a third cousin that he was close. My dad's close with, or was close with. Unfortunately, he's passed. Mm. And him and his very phenomenal wife um, had a, a stake in an antique store. And while they were showing us around the store, he said, "Hey, just find something you like." And I found this giant box of old Playboys. And he, <laughs> you, you, you can't have those. But in the same box was a stack of like twenty. 70s like late 70s era fantastic for he's like take them all oh that's rad they're, they're yours and uh those were my companions on the way up through canada up through the transcontinental uh, or I, I can't think of the name of that road that takes you up the the coast of canada to alaska all the way to fairbanks is it the transcontinental no that'd be the transcontinental railroad divide. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah I, know, I, divide. I know the pan-american yeah. highway it's it's, it's, in the, it's, it's in south america I, I can't remember the damn name of the highway, but it's like you're driving on sheer cliffs. Oh, and uh, the the Fantastic Four cemented in me uh, my love for their love of family, their love of taking care of each other, and also understanding each other's own differences. And this is uh, Fantastic Four number 19, Point of Origin Conclusion, written by Dan Slott, artist Sean uh, Izakse. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this one is I-Z-A-A-K-S-E. Damn. Uh, Marcio Menez and Eric Asiniega, color artist, VCs Joe Caramonga, letter, uh, cover artist Nick Bradshaw and John Roush. Okay, so we've, I haven't talked about an issue of Fantastic Four in a while. What we're, what we're getting to here is that this, where, where we find the, the FF at the moment is that they have – uh, about six issues ago, they reconstructed the old original uh, ship that looks like a, you right. know, a, mm-hmm. a, a rocket cigar that they were going to take out in, in, into the cosmos to go to another planet. And we're unfortunately bombarded with cosmic rays. And, and But the, what had actually happened was uh, another, uh, another planet in, a, in another system had foreseen this. And saw them coming and like what little primitive like satellite technology they had. And it wasn't Reed's fault. That's one of the best parts about this. They change a few different things. There's three big things that they change. Uh, One of them is that it wasn't Reed's miscalculations that the ship couldn't handle the cosmic rays. He did have it right. But the, the main asshole running this place saw these guys coming and sent more cosmic rays after them. And... Added the extra uh, volume of cosmic rays that Reed's been blaming himself for that he did the miscalculations, the calculations incorrectly, and it's his fault that his best friend is you know a giant rock monster. They get to this planet and go for it. No, no, I'm just saying like the organic quality of developing that. That's an that's the core. That's the core of the FF. That's like a core storyline. The guilt that he has and. How many adventures you've got? What are they on a- issue eight hundred or something like that? What's the uh, legacy number? Give me and the it's legacy like, number six eighty four. Six eighty four. Okay, like this has been going on six 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 sixty four. 
This has been going on for so many years, decades, and like to address this in contemporary times and saying it still exists and then deciding to find a way to push past it is a big deal. Because if you did, this is where you could screw up big time, you know? Correct. Oh, man. Correct. Well, well, they get to this planet and uh, they have like a, a bunch of champions. And it turns out that the guy that had foreseen them coming, their great all seer, uh, had been using primitive ex- uh, experiments and cosmic rays to make champions. Oh, and, and yeah. To, to make champions. So he, he forms like five or six and these guys, they're, they've got a perfect utopia, but they all know that the, un, the, the unforeseen four could show up at any moment. And when they do, it's, it's a, it's a problem. Um, however, they are treated as well as they could be at the, at, at, at their, when they first show up. And yeah. the, this, this culture has a the, the all seer guy can uh, his technology can tell you who your soulmate is and one of the main main uh, champions had foreseen that one of the the four that was going to bring their doom was her soulmate when they get there they assign them their soulmates they don't give it to Ben and uh, this is something that was really cool that they show at the end I'll get into it later but uh, uh, Reed and Sue are given their own soul soulmate bands that are connected to each other like not like physically but it, it's like it's like a wedding ring, and even the, even his technology know these people that these two are meant for each other. Johnny is given one, and all of a sudden he's got a wife. Uh, ben unfortunately falls into the uh, lower crevices, the way like a a, a, a sci-fi dystopia. When, when you learn the the real nitty gritty of what's going on, they've got a utopia going on, but there's an underground city, almost like imagine like you know like in the Fifth Element where the higher you went, like the the more expensive it was and oh, the, yeah, the, right. the the better status you had. Well, all the way at the bottom uh, is all of the failed cosmic experiments where the this guy that was <laughs> messing with cosmic rays, if he made something ugly, they. Yeah, all right. they they pretty much just flushed it down the toilet. He well, he flushed it down the toilet. Even if it was like one of his most trusted advisors or or greatest uh, uh, imperial guards, and the thing gets thrust down there, and he uh, leads rebellion, and everything comes to an end where the the underground comes up, and they want to be seen, and they're they meet their family members that they were separated from that don't recognize them, and their all seer guy gets hurt pretty bad, and has a knockdown drag out in this episode or issue with Reed. He's like, you know, you're the one that did this. Uh, you did exactly what you did exactly what um, we thought you would do. You would come and destroy everything. And most of their city was destroyed from this melee. And the great part about it was Dan Slott understands the Fantastic Four so much and Marvel tropes and stereotypes of what you think would happen. Easy predictions. But he doesn't flip it and be like, oh, you know, uh, oh, obviously, Ultimate Warrior is going to win this time. <laughs> like, but, <laughs> but, but, but then, but then something happens, and you're like, "Well, I didn't see that coming." But it, it's not that simple. It, they don't just become friends during the battle. They realize, and Reed implores him, "Please, like, I can help you. I, your your cosmic ray technology is so outdated, but you have all these different ideas and theories and things set in stone that I don't know yet. Together." We can, we can make things better. 
And it was wonderful. It was such a goddamn perfect happy ending. Together, Reed and, and the all-seer guy, uh, they, they come together, and all the people that have been cast aside, Reed figures out a way to, to cure them with his, like, one-day-a-year uh, cure that he gave, he gives to Ben. And they oh, make it really? to it. Yeah, and, but he, he advances it to the point where they're, they're seemingly cured for good and reunited with their families and kids that they never got to meet or, or did meet and was too young to know that, that this giant monster is actually your dad. And, um, like, well, Johnny, like, uh, what, where's your girl, the, the chick with the wings? And he's like, uh, she's mad at me right now. And um, they're about to leave and they're repairing the ship. And they're on their way back, and there's no hard feelings at all, which I really liked because I did not want some like weather well, blasting off or some like bad guy to be like rubbing his hands together. Ha ha! Yeah. I'll get. Yeah, no, no, that that didn't that's, happen. That's a little tired, and right? It, it completely tired. It was a great happy ending, but while they're doing this, uh, things are going on on Earth uh, where the mole men are getting pissed off, so they're setting up the next story. So you don't have to have that that evil bad guy that's mad on this planet rubbing his hands like i'm saying because we're setting up the next story and it's gonna be great mole men are coming great it's very it's like once every 15 years they do a good mole man mole man story a mole man story yeah oh. it's the mole man is uh it there we should really wrap our heads around like dated bad guys oh yeah he's totally dated oh my gosh and it's and, a concept guy I'm excited to see what Dan Slott's going to do with it because Dan Slott has never let me down. While they're getting the ship ready, uh, Johnny's like, well, you know, Ben's trying to give him the, the spiel. Like, hey, man, if she doesn't, you know, want to talk to you anymore, you know, better love than loss. And he's like, shut up. And he's like, well, how come you didn't get a soul a soul ring? And he's like, because I already got one. And he, like, shows his, his ring because he just can't wait to come home to Alicia and oh, yeah. see her. And then you see a flash of her success, like her newest art show is kicking some ass, and it it was. And well, they're about to leave, and then of course Johnny's girl shows up, gets mad at him, and says, "I'm coming with you." So, uh, of the third thing that they've changed was the fact that Again. that that no, he's not just married; he's bound eternally, soul wise, to this woman. Like this, this is his soulmate. He really does love her, as opposed to. Johnny thinking he loves a girl. They break up. He's sad. Forgets about it. We never hear about that girl ever again. It happens all the time. All even, the time. People he has no business being involved with. Not I in the least bit. I still can't believe that shit they pulled with Medusa and... Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. All those years with Crystal. It's just kind of wacky. Medusa was painful because you knew that wasn't going to last. <laughs> Him with an older just, woman? Yeah, why are we having to ride this, you know? Yeah. But it was it was it was Dan Slott at his best, wrapping up a great story. Uh, I know it's not Spidey, but he had his epic run on Spidey. <laughs> and if you if you miss his Spidey run, just go fucking reread it again. I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's still there. It's awesome. awesome. And also the thing that just that's one of the major Spidey stories we kept up with for a while. Just how long did that go on, trapped in the dome? Since well, Jesus, I remember like I think. It, I think it would have been like 2008 when, or 2009 when Dan Slott was really going full force and didn't end until about last year. Yeah. Hmm. But what do you got next, brother? Oh, uh, let's see. Our, oh no, yeah, we, we got to we, we have to do Daredevil. We got to do Daredevil. 
Dude, this just, well, what did we say when we were talking about it initially? This was a page turner. It just. It was a page turner. Ripped through this thing. Mm-hmm. Like, for some reason, this was like, this was that issue. Okay, think about the pacing that you get in a movie and in comics. It happens together all the time because maybe you have a slow issue that's contemplative and it's setting something up and then it's followed by a catalyst you know, and then it's followed by, and that's followed by a debate. And that's followed by, hey, we're going to get out there and we're going to try some stuff. You know, it happens all the time. That's how stories are written. And this was the issue that was like, everybody's running, everybody's gunning, everybody's going to go do something. Everybody's got their part to play. I Oof. I don't even remember seeing the, seeing Detective Cole in the previous oh. like, one or two issues. And then there he was again. And he comes back hardcore. This is uh, Chip Zdarsky writing. Uh, Jorge Fornes, the artist, did a fantastic job. I hope I pronounced that properly. And Nolan Woodward, color artist. VCs Clayton Cowles, lettering. And uh, a host of other folks. Um, This has a really good gritty feel, just like it needs to. And the characterizations of people in these scenes at their heightened state of emotion it are it's top notch this is great oh. penciling this is penciling what? at its best i'm glad you brought that up because this was the first time i've enjoyed a talking heads like the, the, this issue was not all talking heads i want to say maybe like 8 pages of it were were talking heads but this was just as good as how the drama unfolds in a really juicy issue of the walking dead that wasn't like, that wasn't a cash grab. When when he goes in, the cop goes in, and he's like, uh, "Who wants to do some goddamn cop work?" Oh, I know. Because I'm gonna, because yeah. I'm gonna go do it, and this is wrong, and you're wrong, and we need to go actually go back into Hill's kitchen because this little girl is kidnapped, and we need to be some goddamn cops. So who's with me? And and like the the look on his face, the scowl on uh, page five, uh, page six, actually yeah. that scowl. And then, and then w- when his face drops and he, when he, when he, he's, he's so testimonial and he's like, who's, who's, who's with yeah. me. And then, and then his eyes drop, like, come on, please. Someone, someone say, someone step up. And the rest of the cops, he gets like a good seven of them. Like, yeah, let's do this. And, uh, before we get too far in it, I wanted to find what you meant by page turner was I got to the end of this book and I was like, wait a minute. Was that five minutes, ten minutes, thirty minutes? What just Precisely. happened? Precisely. Yeah. What, what, what just happened? Was was this book only fifteen pages? Was, was it all ads? What am I missing? And I flip back and <laughs> flip, 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 flip. I'm like, oh, that was a lot of pages, actually. Um, yeah, everyone is in gear, ready, uh, ready to get the shit done, ready to get their ankles dirty, ready to get their hands dirty, ready to get bloody, ready to get shot, ready to die for it. And um, man, let's start from the beginning because we already started already. He's assembling the cops. Let's do this. Well, Murdoch. yeah, it starts with uh, it starts with um, uh, Mindy, who Daredevil has on occasionally hooked up with, and she is the wife of a uh, she is the wife of the son of Izzy, the mob boss, who is an older lady, and who? she got out of the narcotics trade at one point because she watched one of her own sons die due to narcotics. <sighs> And they planted that. They planted that, that at the great. beginning, and then they showed it off at the end. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Pissant's son, who like a no account guy, 
He's not a capo. He's not a mob boss. He doesn't run the store. He's, he's not nobody. even a squealer. He's he, not even a squealer. <laughs> he, yeah, he doesn't do anything. He wants to go out there and find his daughter, and that's badass. Uh, so he finally gets up. Then Detective Cole goes into the police, the precinct. It's led off with a one panel of these guys talking about, like, yeah, we ain't going to go do it because we're not supposed to do it. We're not supposed to go into Hell's Kitchen. We got orders. Nope. We're not, and then he Cole comes in and rips them a new one, and then some of the some of the cops decide to get up and go. And you're looking at like, okay, I'm not supposed to. The framing was beautiful here because Perfect. this is cinematic. Perfect. When you're looking Perfect. at Detective Cole, you're in close up, extreme close up. You're getting the most out of what they can do, depicting emotion, and Before, then you pull away but, to see the distance. It's a. It's called a dirty shot because it's over the shoulder, but it's from down low at fist level, just past the belt line. So Completely we're looking cinematic. straight at. We're looking at, and it's also at a Dutch angle. Like the, you're looking at this scene, and it's tilted on its axis by a few degrees. So you're looking at a, at some of the cops who have decided to get up and come out and do this. And you're they're, correct. They're, there's nothing inspiring about them. It's a blonde lady. It's a regular looking guy. They're plain clothes cl- cops. But and, look at their pose. Look at their pose. Hands down, she's like the the blonde is thinking. And the the, oh, yeah, the she's Dutch got her shot, arms crossed. Yeah, the the Dutch shot you're talking about, how it disjoints it purely accentuates how like imagine if ever all their thoughts are on a, are on one uh, uh shelf uh-huh. and and you tilt it and everything starts falling and you got to figure out what's important real quick and that's what's happening in this scene and but before we go any further and I'm sorry to interrupt you no 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 I just I, want to make a point in a minute when you're talking about cinematic uh I I I feel like I've let you down Oh, uh, ever okay. ever since this okay. this uh, detective Cole has really gotten in the juice and really gotten on the jazz, I've been pretending he's Idris Elba. Oh, dude, yeah, maybe, <laughs> but I, I also don't think that the character would be as old as Idris Elba is. I think that it would be. I think I would love to give that role to a I younger guy who was the dude that played B. A. Baracus in the A. Team movie. Rampage Jackson. Dude, for real. That guy would be killer, especially with the hair, especially with the beard, especially in the weight class. This guy exudes power. He went toe-to-toe with Daredevil and got beat down by a qualified you're, ninja who was not correct. on his best day. But You're correct. And that's, that's not Daredevil having powers. That's not Daredevil no. actually anticipating every little motion that he was going to do. Yeah, there's powers involved, but not like... Spider-Man agility or anything. It's not like Iron Fist with the Iron Fist. But, like, (laughs) it's so much more fun to actually have the video going and seeing me mess with your stuff. But, like, okay, so, like, (laughs) but then when we're talking about the cinematic quality going on here, notice the trend in movies and in television when it went to handheld. When you've got cameras that are jerky camera and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not talking about when Blair Witch did it. I'm talking about, like, yeah. go back and watch Aaron Sorkin's The West Wing. And you've got cameras Long on sticks yeah. or tripods. You've got cameras that are on a dolly track that are slowly co- moving with the performers or moving around them. Or, you know, it gives, you, it gives a sense of scope. It changes the scene. It makes things interesting. It sells emotion. But when they started doing shaky cam stuff, when it mm-hmm. to give you the perspective that you're in the room, 
experiencing it. Look at it from that. Look at it in Battlestar Galactica. It's amazing what you can do with that. This whole sequence is just one of those handheld moments. It's tight because you get a good like Terrence Malick movie and it's like we got to look right at them. We got to be right in their faces with this lens. It's huge. I love it. This really really good stuff. Uh What's they get Daredevil on the phone. He's not Daredevil. It's still Matt Murdock. It's still Matt Murdock on a flip phone. And of course he's got a burner. Of course oh, he's got a savage. Of course he's got a burner. And and I love the fact that you bring that up because that is going to be the uh, crescendo of what is going to push him over the edge. Because he's already, in my opinion, he's already Daredevil, but he's transcended who Daredevil ever was. That wasn't some silly leader of the hand after it, during Shadowland or, or doing too much drugs or, or getting drunk. Um, this, this, is, this is true nitty-gritty, and this is something I really hope that – uh, we're going to get some letters from or, or we see in the, in the uh, letters panels in the back of like, man, I've been dealing with a lot of weird shit in my life. And watching Matt Murdock go through this next level uh, mentality, higher state of consciousness really helped me sort some things out because he can't just say, OK, I'm Daredevil again. He can't do that. No, no, so- he cannot. I don't want to see him do it. I want him to find – I don't need him to have a new persona. I don't need him to be Agreed. Daredevil. I don't need him to like it's astonishing that the book is still called Daredevil, you know? It's it's like mm-hmm. at a certain point you're reading about the characters of Daredevil without Daredevil showing up. This could go on for years and it would be fine because this is high quality work. Is this just as good as Frank Miller's work in the 80s years in your opinion? This is better. This is better. I mean, that was still running around chasing bullseye and there being capes and there being yeah, crusaders. But this is th- a real story. Bendis and the Leaves started this concept off. Good point. It was a, it was a comic book. Now it is a this this should be television. This is real life. This and, is uh, this is that good. It has stayed that good for years. This reminds me of the the first interview I did uh, on the uh, uh, wrestling report with Achilles, and uh-huh. you you were you were like you're you're in a diner, and I'm like yeah, I was a little noisy. I'm really sorry, but this is the only place we could meet up. And you're like no 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 no, you don't understand. Like you 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 got such on the jazz about it. You were like it made it better that we could tell you were in a diner because you weren't in some fake studio that people don't have access to uh-huh. or some uh no you were in a diner where people understood the sounds and when you understand the sounds and you understand the background noise it'll put you at ease to a moment this this is hell's kitchen this is dirty this is gritty and and like in in what you're saying about the filming it cinematically it's painful to me to think that it would probably be so expensive to recreate any of this despite the fact it's it's uh portraying a, a poor neighborhood well the, go back the, the, i mean we had a, two seasons of a daredevil tv series like and it was awesome it was a really really good show not this good it, <laughs> it, not, it, not awesome this and good. yet you're right yeah i mean it was it was contemporary this it, it's not this though you're right i mean and, this is and, this is still powers i mean no spoilers i'm not gonna say what happens with any of it i'm just saying like you know, hey, you guys have been you guys have been reading this, or you haven't. Uh, the it, whole the whole bit with the kingpin, it, uh, still amazing. That like t- 
to see this character with this much power and where he is right now. Uh, that that was the last straw, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Like, because I I feel like I was in every character in every single panel when he got that phone call from that rich asshole and he's just giving him the business. I th- and you know he's Fisk is in the he's still in the hospital. I think that was the last straw. Like where where this this issue is everyone deciding what they're going to do and how they're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the last straw for Fisk. Like I, I'm tired of being bossed around with these guys. I I can't believe I've been intimidated by a bunch of rich assholes that know nothing about anything that he's ever gotten his hands dirty about. Uh, back to what we were saying earlier about he can't just say I'm Daredevil again. I was worried the entire time uh, through, well, like, and we're not going to ruin the ending because uh, you, you made your point. But um, when they're looking for the girl, I'm worried that they were going to kill the girl. And then he's going to be like, oh, I'm, now I'm Daredevil again. Oh, no, yeah. don't, do, don't do that to me. <laughs> don't do that to me. Don't don't just give me another dead kid because that happens all the time. Um, wow. Don't, yeah, yeah, we don't need that to happen because because well, – yeah, because of trope. And we don't need that to happen – to sell the point any further, you know? Right. The owl, the, the ending was great. Uh, little surprise about the, uh, little team at the end, especially with, uh, I won't say, well, yeah, Yeah, Uh, the little, 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 little team at the end. There's, there's every single character you're going to be like, Oh, how did that happen? So we've got some good, good looking forward to on, uh, that backstory. But, uh, what do we got next? Uh, no, you need to go because uh, our segue. We have a we have a promised segue. <laughs> a promised segue. Uh, I forgot it. We were talking about Wolverine in two stories. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we're talking about X Men. X Men. Okay, uh, Wolverine number one. Wow, um, guys, I've been watching X Men all day. Uh, Tuesdays off, and I woke up and I decided. Well, actually, last night I decided to start watching some old school X Men uh, animated okay. series. And I woke up and I picked up where I left off and I was taking some notes about things that got right, things that got wrong. But all my conclusions were they didn't get anything wrong. They changed what they needed to change. They made some new stories. Um, not too happy what they did with the Phalanx Covenant uh, because um, the whole thing with Kevin Hodge, uh, Kevin Hodge was a big deal in this one or he was the uh, the, the guidance system for the phalanx to take over the human race oh. if 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 you remember if you read because uh, we I, I remember like it was last year i went on this huge tirade about how good extinction agenda was where he did have some phalanx technology but stolen from warlock and warlock was that's the that's the series warlock was killed but this one started where war this is where warlock first showed up okay this is a nice intro for kids and but enough to get people you know under their skin to like look it up um, Cameron Hodge is a very polarizing character. If you read back in the pages of X Factor, he it was pretty much his idea to start X Factor to uh, we're going to solve the mutant problem, but actuality we're reuniting the original X-Men to find new mutants and to save them and to uh, 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 shuffle them into safety and, and or train. And obviously he's the, the, the bad guy, turns crazy, gets his head chopped off. Uh, Warren just write the fuck off. And, um, but we, we find him again in Genosha and, uh, wow. I mean, I'm getting really disjointed because I'm thinking about X-Men and then X-Men cartoon series. 
Uh, I really think they did it right. I love watching the the the, the intro credits and they say story uh, consultant Bob Haras or Chris Claremont. Yeah, perfect, uh-huh. perfect. It, it wasn't like story editor, story consultant, some dude you don't know who the hell he is and has no business doing this. <laughs> it said Chris Claremont. So we've got a lot I of mean, good stuff. He was the guy. He was the guy that had he was he had the sword of. Islam or something, you know, for the X-Men. He was yeah. the X-Men for yeah. forever. Yeah, he, he really was. And they did a good job. And I, I don't have too much to say other than how blown away by the uh, the voices in uh, – when I still read X-Men comic books, um, the voice of Wolverine in the cartoon is still what I hear in my, vo- in my I, head. I do I too, man. Yeah. It totally uh, works. The voice of Sabretooth. Rot! <laughs> He, like, like, like hairball. He calls on hairball or runt. Um, it, it was funny because I picked up, uh, I was watching it last night, but I was watching it two days ago and I was just reading some old school Wolverine, um, origin stories, uh, specifically I reread, uh, weapon X. And then I read the, uh, Mark Silvestri illustrated series from, uh, 48, 49 and 50, which was oh, weapon yeah. X part was weapon X part two. And there were so many specific things they took from Weapon X that just had that reverberating echo that will put you on edge. Like, no, not animal. Not human. What? Not animal. Human. Logan. And uh, he, he says it multiple times while they, he's figuring out the, the actual Weapon X with Andre, the professor, and Heinz, and um, Shiva. And they did the cartoon about it, but they didn't call him Shiva. And I'm really concerned about why they didn't call him Shiva. Like, was that too ethnic? Because Shiva is a, and I, from if I remember religion studies correctly, that's an that's an Indian god, correct? Yeah, yeah, Shiva, yeah. Shiva. I I, I think that they hesitated. I, I can't remember what they used, but it was stupid. It doesn't really matter what they used because it wasn't Shiva. Um, but we've got Wolverine. We we're restarting Wolverine. True Blue, no more. We're so far away from Death of Wolverine, Return of Wolverine. Uh, We're no longer having to pretend that Laura is Wolverine, even though she's still kind of taking over the moniker on her own sense with Logan's own approval. And we, we find Wolverine in the snow regenerating with some amazing dissection art. You see, really? you, you see his adamantium skeleton. You see the, the, the flesh reforming. You see the bullet wounds. You see the cuts. But you see snowflakes falling. And you see Gene and Kid Omega and Domino are just murdered in front of him. And it's obvious it was him that killed it, killed oh, yeah. them. And uh-huh. he's, he's got to go find out why. So we're going with Benjamin Percy, writer. Adam Kubert, artist, which is what gave me the – oh, dude, I, I want to say something really gross and lurid, but I'm not. Uh, all I'm going to say is I saw those magic words that Adam Kubert was doing, Wolverine. And oh, wow. The only, the, the only other names that could have made me pop like that would have been um, Andy or uh, Andy Kubert and, uh, or Jim Lee or especially Mark Silvestri. Who I, I, in my opinion, owns Wolverine in, in the old school things. And he's having a, a fun little uh, day with the mutant kids. Uh, he's playing hide and seek with them. And Gene's like, hey, we got a mission to do. And we got to meet up with Shadow Cat. And he, he's got to, you got to remember that Wolverine has very specific little sidekicks. 
Yeah, first, it was, first, first it was Kitty Pride, then it was Jubilee, and he has a, a little drinking moment there with with Shadowcat, who's now called Kate, and he's got to find out where all of the missing flowers that are being used to create the drugs that will cure humans of pretty much anything uh, are going to, and he he goes out with a little bit of a team and. It's a knockdown dragout, and um, it was great artwork. It was some talking heads, great panels, uh, great, wow, phenomenal action, great poses. A lot of these things just need to. A lot of these things should have been trading cards, and I think oh, that he, uh, Andy, really went into to make sure that it was it was that, and he finds the guys that are responsible, and it's not what anyone would think it was, and I'm not going to ruin it, but. We we see a ghost from the past, and then it ends, and we get to we get to part two, and part two is where your my personal heart stopped because one of my favorite X villains is Omega Red, and the really? thing about the the thing about yeah Ar- Arkady uh, uh the thing Ar- Arkady or Arkady yeah. or uh, whatever it is um. The thing I got about a lot Krakoa, of time in the Russian words and the Russian <laughs> Russian names. No, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, Benjamin Percy, writer, uh, um, because it's spelled the right way. Viktor. Yeah, right. <laughs> Bogdanovic as artist. Uh, Matthew Wilson, color artist. VCs Cordy Pettit, letterer, and Tom Muller, design. The thing about Krakoa is that all mutants are welcome. It doesn't matter how much of a piece of shit or a genocidal maniac you were before Krakoa existed. All are welcome. And stumbling through one of the gates is Arkady, or or Arkady, and covered in blood. And, of course, we got – Magneto's like, we got to let him stay here. And Wolverine's like, no, the guy's a murdering serial killer sociopath bastard. And Wolverine's like – no, Magneto looks at him and goes, what do you think most people would say about us? And he's like, that doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, we can't have him here. And he's like – He's gonna he's gonna stay here. You have no choice in this. And he's like, I don't care about your shadow government and what you say is is written in law and then you have X Force go out and murder people and he's like, Oh, that's that's different and he's like, No, it's not. You you're picking and choosing, you're car- you're cherry picking, and I'm picking this one is not staying here. And and like I'm sorry I'm getting so worked up because I feel like I'm Wolverine like I'm feeling the same thing that Wolverine is, is that Logan is feeling. There is no goddamn way we're gonna let this guy stay here. It can't happen. And um, we go on uh, – he, he's like, fine. Just we're going to keep him in custody. He, he's still healing. Go figure out what the hell happened and why he's covered in blood. Find a cart. We, 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 we exit the, uh, the, the gate and there's a parked car with the trunk popped open. There's a bunch of dead bodies in the background. Um, wow. Yeah, in the, in the trunk. And uh, he's investigating. Obviously, they they want to. The authorities think Wolvie's you know responsible for all these dead bodies. But uh, it he uh, comes back because uh, he's not going to get blasted for any dead bodies he's not responsible for. Because no one that's he could walk through the portal and walk back out like an open door, but no human could do that. Like unless you're a mutant, you can't right, go right. through those gates. Goes back, finds Omega Red in his cell, and Omega gives him the uh, a little clue. If you want any more. Info on this. Go to Paris. Figure it out. Goes to Paris. Ah, and I'm, 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 I feel like I'm gonna lose you here. Vampire bar. <laughs> Vampire bar. Vampire bar. 
we, we encounter some vampires and it's, uh, <coughs> it, it didn't piss me off, uh, before I figure, uh, lose my track of, uh, mind here is that the artist is heavily influenced by Greg Capullo. If there's some scenes in here that like, I feel like, did Greg draw that? Like the, like, imagine if I drew a, a woman's eyes the way that Terry Dodson did. And you're like, why did you draw the sure, eyes like that? Yeah. You, you, you can't do that. Uh, that's his style. Um, he, he draws the women's eyes like, uh, like, uh, Greg Capolo does, but he also does Wolvie's cow the way that, uh, uh, junior junior does on, uh, on occasion, but only in certain panels. And we, we get down to the nitty gritty and it turns out that Dracula has, uh, the carbonadium synthesizer, which is something that is very specific within the pages of Wolverine, not X-Men was that Omega Red needs the carbonadium synthesizer to uh, basically not have to kill and eat flesh and blood to live. Wow. The, the, the carbonadium synthesizer basically reverses the poison that's going through his body because of the carbon – because Wolverine's got adamantium. Mm-hmm. Um, Omega Red has carbonadium in, in his tentacles, and it's – it's slowly poisoning him. He needs the synthesizer so not have to kill to, to survive. Uh, turns out actual Vlad, the impaler Dracula had, has the carbonatum synthesizer and the whole time was manipulating him just to get Wolverine out into the open so they could take his blood. And they, they tell that story about the regenerative qualities of Wolverine's blood and how, um, unpredictable it can be where sometimes it can, it can heal someone, and then I think about an issue of the. Uh, it was a Christmas episode of the X Men where um, Leech from the uh, uh, the the Morlocks got sick, and Wolverine didn't want to do it, but he gave the kid his blood anyway and saved him, and it was a great Christmas episode, and everyone was happy. But it, <laughs> it, but and like I it, I just watched that, and then I read this, and it was just it was so like parallel. I was reading everything just the right way, just by accident, and. Um, so Dracula has Wolverine's blood, which is what the whole plan was. And Omega Red comes out, and Dracula's like, hey, here's the carbonated synthesizer. Now you don't have to kill no one no more. He's like, yeah, maybe I really like it. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's fine. But uh, <laughs> there's a there's a tracker in this thing, and uh, you work for me now. Whoa. And uh, that's that that's where it ends. Uh, you, you listen to them, and but you work for me. And... It's just it's like an, another episode of X-Men I was watching earlier where the uh, U.S. government revived Omega Red to find a, a, a fallen uh, Russian submarine in, in the South Pacific uh, about 100 miles away from uh, Pearl Harbor that had 15 active nukes. And they needed to – Wow. All they, right. That's they, heavy duty they, for a kid's show. Yeah. They needed to get, they needed to get these nukes uh, – out of the ocean because it was it, like the the submarine was crashed kind of and on, on like a, a precipice, and if it fell in or moved anyway, it was going to fall even further, and you know there'd be problems. It would, but the thing was, it'd still be at sub. So they're like, "Hey, Omega Red, we just revived you. Um, we need your help. We'll turn you back into a human because um, we know you know all the Russian codes that no one knows to use this sub." Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, "Fine, but." Uh, I need help. I need Wolverine. I need Storm, who were the ones that captured him the last time. They go into the sub, and he's like, "Okay, fuck you guys." Uh, <laughs> and um, I'm gonna just I'm I'm gonna literally use all these codes to launch and destroy 15 
major cities in the, in the entire planet because I want to watch the world burn. And Wolverine is freaking out the whole time, the whole time. Do not trust this guy. Calm down, Wolverine. Calm down. No, don't trust this guy. I know him. You don't. No, no. Come on. We, we got to do this. Don't worry. Uh, we trust that he'll help us get these nukes. No, he's going to betray us. <laughs> No, 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 no. Just, just go down there and 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 everything will be fine. No, <laughs> like I can do it over and over and over. And uh, but yeah, that that was the it, it was it's mirrored everything that was reading this. And you've got the smile on your face, like I'm just this Omega Med Rock or Omega Red Mark. <laughs> Man, I mean, I'm I just don't know anything about that character. It's amazing that there's that much content with him and and uh, dude, I it's I have so many books with him. I have so many books. He's one of the few that uh, is on a list that I need this book because Omega Red's in it. Yeah, man, I get that. I've got lots of characters like that that I'm chasing down. Mm. But two-parter, but part two got me uh, got me on the jazz. And, uh, the jazz. Uh, the Marauders was good. Um, I'm not going to get into that. What else? New Mutants was great. Um it was just a lot of fun wrapping up because they're doing like three stories at once. And, uh, Keep yeah, going. yeah, we're, we're doing uh, three stories at once. And, uh, Sunspot actually gets to, gets to kiss a uh, death bird, which we never saw was going to happen. But then again, just like we were talking earlier about the story about the, uh, the guy with the older woman, it's just not going to happen. But even then, he did get to make out with Deathbird and and a Gladiator uh, got everything all solid up and Lalandra uh, isn't there right now but the the, the young the young uh, spawn of Lalandra and Charles Xavier it, it says listen I know she tried to betray us you guys just tried to kill each other because obviously you know we got to kill the betrayer but let's do the, my first uh, act as as uh, reigning queen is. Deathbird, you're going to teach me to be royal, and you, you insurgent, are going to teach me to be a soldier. And they they have a nice mutual agreement there. And uh, but Sunspot gets to kiss uh, Deathbird, which was great. Who did? <laughs> Sunspot. Sunspot is a uh, Sunspot is dating uh, Deathbird now. And because I even yes. brought it up, we got you. New Mutants number seven. Jonathan Hickman, writer. Rod Rice, artist. VCs Travis Lanham. Letter Tom Muller design Rod Rice cover artist New Mutants number seven. It was it was a lot of fun. I'm glad that Hickman because he's taken over like the main X Tiles. Um, but of of all the ones he picked, that was peripheral New Mutants. Good for him because that's that's something so special to me is the New Mutants. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that really loved the New Mutants, especially uh, it, it, people in in your particular age range and just a little bit older. Cause it was something that they could sink their teeth into as kids and actually watching these characters grow up as opposed to just, Hey, mm-hmm. we're going to be kids for years and years and years and years. It was never like that. Not to mention the fact that the art style changed on so many different levels. Uh-huh. There was so many different artists that, that drew the new mutants that if you're reading it as a child and you're so engulfed and you find your new mutant, that is you that you relate to that is, you know, hopefully going to be a full fledged X-Man one day yeah. And then you're you're constantly getting challenged with new writers, new different styles of art. What a great way to like, uh, almost like a textbook way to introduce someone totally to to, yeah, to comics in general. Yeah, to, great, great point. Yeah, exactly. I was just thinking like mutant them. No, you're 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 exactly right. And then 
the things that have spawned out of the mutants that, uh, wow, Warlock, Cypher. Uh, I love Warlock. The, I the, never the, liked Cypher, but when I started to realize how powerful and important his powers agreed. were, I was like, agreed. that's that's one of the best possible characters. And that duo, the Warlock-Cypher yeah. duo... What a team up, man! What a what a great couple of pals, and then and then we get Greymalkin, the the time traveling ship slash building that is a mansion somehow <laughs> that, that that Cable takes over. Uh, the introduction of Cable in general. I mean, there's so many things that came out of that. Deadpool, uh, Domino. Uh, from from the pages of New Mutants, we get the death of Warlock and and Cipher, and then Extinction Agenda. We wow, I I can keep going. Um, but yeah, so that's it. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I got really on the jazz about that. I apologize. On the jazz, dude. You don't talk about new mutants, man. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get heated. Very exciting. Tell me more. What do you got next, brother? You got Black Widow. Uh, I do. Yeah, this is a Black Widow. Um prelude book that's it's leading into you guys have seen these i've talked a little bit about them before for whatever reason i picked them up and i think mainly it was because i started thinking hey my son is too young to be able to watch some of these movies his mom's gonna pitch a fit but he could keep up with it by reading the comics and maybe i would sneak the story in on him and good uh, idea because Great usually idea. it's like, okay, hey, Captain America 2 is coming out, so let's do a prelude of Captain America, and then it's a comic book adaptation of the first movie, so you can... And it's so weird because I think about that. When sequels came out in the 80s, and we did, or earlier in the 80s, and you didn't have VHS or Betamax to watch at home, you didn't have right. home video... They would do a recap at the beginning. Go back and look at Rocky 2. There's a recap of Rocky 1 for like the first five minutes and Karate Kid, which consequently, both Rocky and Karate Kid are John Avildsen movies. Uh, he directed both of them. So yeah, doing a recap was more or less kind of a thing that was his, and I, th I feel like you used to see that in a bunch of other stuff. And so... Um, which, Previously so, you know, on X-Men. Exactly. I mean, you know, you have to do that in some instances. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Black Widow, this is a prelude to some of Black Widow's exploits leading up to the Black Widow movie that's coming out. Uh, this is part two. It's the only, it's, there were only going to be two parts. It's actually Peter David writing this. And if you don't know who Peter David is, look him up. You're going to be shocked. Prolific Hulk writer. One of the one of the greatest tragedies I've ever experienced in my life was side by side with you. Mm -hmm. when, when we see this giant line to see Junior Junior, we see uh, even smaller lines for uh, hell. Becky Clunan had like a, a line around the corner, um, but that was a different that was a different time. You weren't there, um, yeah. but but then we're like just casually walking along, and there's this fat guy sitting there with a bunch of books, and we're like, holy fuck, that's that's. That's Peter David, and no one is in line. <laughs> no one is in line. We just walk right up to the guy. Like I happen to have twenty ninety nine on him from the sign, uh -huh. and he, he was such a nice gentleman. And I oh, just he thought always it was is travesty. He had no line. Travesty. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, if if Peter David is there, you have to meet him. You know, it's and uh, I mean, I'm not gonna say we lucked out because. That's what I felt like when we got to we're – are we name-dropping now? When we, when we got to meet Jim Shooter and then we were asking him very 
pointed questions and getting really fantastic answers. And the mere presence of us made it possible for other people who were otherwise nervous about talking to him to come up and experience what we were doing, even if they didn't have anything the, in particular to ask or say, but or they the can ride the impromptu him. panel discussion that, that started, you know? We, we, we did that. Can you imagine if we had minefields going at that time? I know, we that was preceding we our co- podcast. Yeah, we would have plopped down a microphone and just started talking, and then that probably would have been like our like biggest episode ever. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'd have, I, we would have lost our minds. Uh, the, the thing being, you know, hey, if, you, if, if, if you've ever read a comic that you liked... And you liked the writing. You liked the artistry. Look at the credits page. Figure out who that was. See what else they've worked on. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't understand why the letters page was such a big deal. I didn't care. I'm just reading the story. I'm reading about the characters. Right. And it just didn't make any sense to me. Oh, blah, blah, blah. The color was a little messed up on this page. Or, hey, why did you call it this here and when in issue whatever it was that? And I'm like, wow, that's nitpicky. And, uh... Ah, whatever. What I'm saying is that if somebody is there that you're interested in and you're at a con, take the time to say hello. If you look ahead and you know that they're going to be there, get your ratty, messed up issue of Batman Armageddon 2001 signed or whatever it is. Just Something that's special to you. Something that's special. that It doesn't have to be a pristine copy. Yeah, the one... one that belongs to you, the one that is the the one that you read like thirty, forty times because you only had a stack of twenty comics. Yeah. in the first place. I'd love to meet Eastman and Laird. I have a gigantic collected volume of the first twelve issues plus the specials of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I have read it. It was a four hundred and fifty-six page thing. I've read it so many times. It's like a beat-up phone book, if you know what a phone book is. And I'm oh, just yeah. saying, like, if I could meet them and have them sign that, that would be it for me right there. So anyway, Peter David writing Black Widow, uh, artist C.F. Via, colorist Chris Sotomayor, letterer VCs Travis Lanham. Um, yeah, some you know, hey, what what are you going to get out of a Prelude book? This is a a bit of side information in the MCU. Uh, this issue, and I talked about the first one. You've got. Uh, secretary, uh, you know, Bill Thunderbolt Ross, usually of Hulk fame, played by William right. Hurt in the movies, and uh, Councilwoman Hawley, who was the woman that was impersonated by Black Widow in Captain America's Civil War. Well, I'm sorry, Captain America's Winter Soldier. Uh, when they were, you know, you've got... I mean, when she was... Pierce... In there, the guy that was leading Hydra inside S.H.I.E.L.D. It was Robert Redford's character. So this was the lady that was in there that she takes <laughs> off her mask and it's the Black Widow. And it's like, okay, well, this councilwoman is finding a lot of respect for the Black Widow and, and going through her life story, as it were. The weird thing is that when you read the original Black Widow comics, you see how she started out with Clint Barton Hawkeye and they were villains and they were Soviet agents trying to break into Tony Stark's facilities, and then they eventually get brought around and ultimately made into uh, Avengers. And you know that the Black Widow is very old and has some form of the Soviet infinity formula so that she doesn't age, and she like Nick Fury does. 
And in the, in what they're saying here in this is that she was born in 1984, so she hasn't had this gigantic career of the Red Ledger that she makes a big deal out of in Avengers um, that she had in all the original Black Widow stories. So she's a lot younger. She doesn't have the Infinity Formula. She's just a complete badass. And uh, this issue starts with the whole incident where she was ta- where they were talking about Bruce Banner, like they sent her to go meet Bruce Banner in, uh, what was it, Calcutta and the Avengers. It goes into some of that business and then talks about the Avengers getting together, talks about how she formed a special relationship with the Hulk to be able to get him to chill out and turn was back that, into Dr. Ross, or Dr. Banner, was, sorry. Was was that just within the movie, or we're talking, or are, are they using this? Because the, the one thing I'm confused about here is whether or not this is in any way tied to the actual comics, or is it just a comic book about the prelude to the movie? totally MCU. Yeah, this is absolutely <clears throat> specific to the MCU. And uh, they're, they're going back and forth on whether or not she's somebody they can trust. After all of this stuff. And so what I'm saying is that this is a prelude to the incidents in uh, uh, Captain America. How do I say this? This takes place after Captain America Winter Soldier. Immediately after. Where the movie takes place, I actually have to... Where did I have it? I have to pull up Wikipedia. I'll I'll, I'll look it up. There he is. I've got it. So... The Black Widow movie coming up, uh, what I'm saying is that this sets it up. Uh, Development of Black Widow began in April 2004, which is insane to me, because Iron Man 2 happened in 2010. Yeah. So this movie is coming out at the beginning of May, uh, and it says it's following the events of Captain America Civil War, Natasha Romanoff finds herself alone and forced to confront a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past. And I mean, that's what we've seen in the trailer. We're looking at it and we're like, I don't know when this exactly happens. At least now we have a time stamp for it. And that's helpful. I'm, uh, because, I don't know, I hope that it, I hope that this movie in no way alludes to how she's going to die. Because we all know that's what's going to happen. Or come back, and then also we've got so many loose ends that the scrolls are around, and uh, yeah, it's very we don't f- know. <clears throat> I'm glad that this isn't some. I mean, we're going to see all this stuff that goes back and forth to her, you know, being in the '90s and being in the early 2000s and stuff like that. She is very young compared, so it's kind of hard for me to think about what kind of crazy missions she would have been on for the Russians because she wasn't even trained by the Soviets at this point, you know, and. Right. I don't know, just as much as stuff as I've read, considering the Cold War, and even I just finished a book about Operation Paperclip, which was the American op, American uh, operation to get Nazi scientists brought to the U.S. to help in their Cold War efforts against the Soviets. It's astonishing. It's astonishing the kind of stuff that they could do with this that they clearly aren't going to do because they've set the precedent of when she was born. So... Not having her be a Soviet agent means that there's, they're saying that there's some ultra-scandalous stuff going on in Russia. Well, uh, did you like the comic? I mean, Oh, yeah, like, I totally uh, did. Like, when it, what it boils down to is I always wonder, I'm like, am I wasting my money buying a comic that is a retelling of something that I've already seen? 
And in the end, sometimes it's like, this is exactly Black Panther all over. There's like, there's no, like, or whatever. You know, this is exactly whatever, the tie-in. It's just a retelling. But sometimes you get one of these where it's like, yeah, it's a retelling, but it's a retelling from other characters' perspectives. And that, in and of itself, is interesting. I think your noble intent is going to pay forth in spades. Um, when I was a kid, um, my uh, a buddy of mine came to visit and uh, from out of state. And um, we were going to go see the Super Mario Brothers movie, oh and I got I got in a lot of trouble. Mom <laughs> like, I got in a lot of trouble, and uh, because we pulled some hijinks, and like, you guys aren't going to see this movie anymore. And she's like, I'm not going to take you to see it, like, ever. <laughs> and I was like, great. But um, my dad bought me the uh, movie adaptation of the book, and when I finally got to see the movie, uh, when I rented it, like, a year later, um, I had so much more insight Awesome. Like not just from playing the video game, not just from playing the video game, but so much more insight because the, the adapted novelization of the book had so much more detail and made made the movie like when people talk shit about that movie, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't want to tell them they're stupid. I just want to say you just don't know. You didn't have the right experience. Uh, I, I read the book and then I saw the movie, but it made the movie even better. I really hope your boy reads these books and uh, gets to see Black Widow. And it's so much more meaningful to him and develops his intelligence and his – I don't know if he's going to be a writer, but whatever he's going to do, it's going to be creative and, and intelligent. But at least this sort of insight is probably going to give him this – because of that, I know it's stu- stupid and silly, but because of that, I, I, there's, it, it showed me that there's so much more behind the scenes that you don't know about whether you're seeing the behind the scenes when they're making the movie or they're actually, you're getting more dialogue, you're getting more character development and understanding things and understanding things better in your life, which that did for me, even though it was this damn super Mario brothers movie. But dude, I mean, yes, every time I've ever read the novelization of a movie, I have really enjoyed it. Accepting. I don't know. Like I remember reading the star Trek two wrath of Khan adaptation and seeing a whole lot of really frustrating things that they did with Savick. But I remember writing it. I was, I remember being 14 and going on a family trip, reading the novelization of alien three. And it put so much information that I could not wrap around my head around when I was 14. And I went to see that movie. I was like, I could not differentiate any rando shaved head, white guy with an English accent from another in that prison and like dude they all had names they all had identities they had personalities it was incredible incredible I, I'm gonna, that's fascinating every time like every every you know if you've got a movie that you really really truly love it's always frustrating to me it's like how difficult is it to read james finmore cooper and i i, I can't do it and i love last of the mohicans and i adore the last of the mohicans movie Starring Daniel Day-Lewis. It's a Michael Mann movie. It is one of my favorite movies. It's in my top ten for sure. And Michael Mann did Last of the Mohicans? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. There's no cops and guns in that. <laughs> right. Nevertheless, it is, a, it is a movie about hardcore man stuff. And, like, that's kind of what his M.O. is. It really uh, is. Every person I've ever worked with who has worked with him is like, that's what all of his stuff is. It's about, it's about masculinity. And um, 
Uh, I, I got to say, I mean, like, I can't read. Sometimes you get a book where it's like, okay, well, this is an adaptation of the book this movie is, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's but you don't you you don't often get the the uh, what do I got to say here? You don't often Gravitas. get the opportunity mm-hmm. to read Hook as opposed to Peter Pan. You know what I mean? Right. Oh my right. gosh! At least we have that. So. Well, uh, was there any insight of what's going to happen in the movie that you that you care about? It really um, didn't go into any detail like that. It is a setup for that. And the question of whether or not she's somebody that is trustworthy is really put out there because it's built around the idea that she just brought down the... Uh, she just, you know, at the end of Winter Soldier, she put all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secrets out there for the world. And we never really saw how crazy that would have been. Like, that deserves its own story. And then you think about what she did at the end of Civil War, where she let Cap and Bucky go. And uh, she did, she she did, you know, I'm not going to kill Clint. I don't even want to fight him. But nope. I gotta accomplish my mission, and my mission is on my own agenda. She set a trend for herself of fulfilling the mission parameters that she thinks is most necessary. Depend, you know, whether it has anything to do with what Cap or Iron Man wanted, or Shield or Cap wanted, or anything else for that matter. She's gonna like do she- what she sees fit, and then that's why that's the whole point here. Is she somebody that we can trust, or has she got her own agenda? That's a great. That's a that's a that is a great point because there's very little I trust about Scarlet Witch because of that, and I know she's an Avenger, and I should trust her, and I've seen her great sacrifice. But for her to make those choices, and that that really did confound me in Civil War when she's like not going to fight Burton. She's not going to fight Burton, but then she just went ahead and betrayed her own side, and. Um, why and why is she making these choices? What makes her have that sort of a uh, um, in, uh, what's the word? God, the, the knowledge, the I don't know what what the uh, I don't know. Oh, you froze up. There's a poor network connection. No wonder. try to finish it up simply and then we there hello 
Okay, cool. Hey, that doesn't take long. Most of our stuff is, uh, uh, it kind of, I mean, it'll, it'll be visible. I, I just kept recording. Cool. Cool. Uh, cause, uh, I, I was like talking about just hoping that her gravitas stayed, uh, the way it should have been. And then I noticed that everything was frozen. Um, cause my entire recording has gone. The whole recording? The whole goddamn thing. Oh my God. That's horrible. So glad that you've got yours going for mine too. Okay, well let's uh, let's try to let's just let's just do a end end cap, and you'll see in the file wave file where the uh, where it gets quiet. You're gonna know where to cut it and fade it in. Okay, I'll fix it. Yeah. So yeah, just ask me. I don't know what you know. Like, ask me uh, about. Uh, how do you think the movie's gonna go? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, ready? We'll do a. We'll we'll start in with a clap here in, in uh, and then we'll do a three second fade in. Okay. Cool. All right. Ready? Three, two, one. Well, how did you? How do you feel like this is actually leading into the movie? Because one thing, I'm a big sucker for David Harbor, so I'm gonna like it no matter what because I love that guy. But yeah. that's just me. I I I am uh, I'm liking him more and more. Um, he's I I need to see more interviews with him because I I feel like he's a strange dude. I know that he's a little bit distant towards the kids on Stranger Things because I think he's trying to be in character, but I uh, I think he's funny and I'm really excited to see him play what I think is the Red Guardian who was the Soviet super soldier. In fact, there was a one-issue book in 1991 called Soviet Super Soldiers. I mean, you have the Red Guardian, you've got... Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the bear, but then you've got, like, uh, uh, the Crimson Dynamo, who has changed hands so many times. Is it Ivan? Is it Drago? Or 
uh, Anton or whatever. I mean, there's all these different guys that have been the Crimson Dynamo. Uh, and that's, you know, the Soviet Iron Man. It's pretty rad. Um, but, uh, yeah, reintroducing those characters and then doing all of the ones that came out in the early 2000s that were other Black Widows. There was a competition. or there were, It wasn't like a literal competition. There was the, like... Oh, I'm the Black Widow now, and you're you're this old woman that I've got to defeat and everything. There was this concept. I want to know who Rachel Vice is. I'm excited to see her in this. Oh, I she love her. Al- yeah, I love her. She always, she always brings delivers. it, you know? Always delivers. Yeah. Every time. Uh, so, yeah, I don't really know what to expect out of the movie, except that it looks like an insane amount of fun. It looks really, really cool. Uh, I want to see... The Marvel Universe from the perspective of people who aren't on the inside. I want to see what they think of all of that stuff that's happening in other parts of the world. And that's the beauty of it. When you go back and look at the, the Ultimates, that's, that's, what, that's where we get the Avengers movie. From the Ultimates. An Good alien point. attack on New York City. Trying to get these struggling personalities together to do something gigantic. There's a reason to get them together. Lo, there came a day when there was a need for the Avengers. I can't remember exactly what it is. And like the, the, the thing being like, that's essentially what they set up that it was done so well. So when you get into what the rest of the world perspective was on the Avengers and why Captain America winter soldier was uh I'm yeah with the Sokovia business I'm sorry civil civil war uh, why that's such a big deal is when you have Captain America's perspective when you have other people in charge of what we are supposed to do then suddenly we aren't in charge of it Ooh. if I see something going down I want to run towards it and I want to deal with it. And I know that I'm doing the right thing because I trust me and I can trust whoever I'm with if I can trust them. But if you can't, then you've got a problem. And then it turns and it's like, okay, well, we're, I'm going to go and take care of it myself or we're going to fight this together. You know, those were all those enormous sentiments in that story. And so when you get down to it, Ultimates Volume 2 was about an anti-Avengers called the Liberators. And they were made up of people who had been frustrated, disenfranchised, or defeated more or less by Western powers. And so you had the Abomination. It was Emil Blonsky. You had uh, the Colonel, who was like a dual lightsaber-wielding Captain America-type knockoff from right. an unnamed Middle, Middle Eastern company, country. You had a speedster from, I think it was North Korea. It was fascinating. It was such a cool concept. And they basically come in, break apart the Avengers with the help of Loki, or the Ultimates, as it were, and then wreck the U.S. until Thor could prove that he was actually the God of Thunder and not some crazy nurse. And so, dude, it's such a good book. I mean, if you guys haven't read that, if you guys like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you haven't read the the Ultimates Volumes 1 and 2, get ready. Pay whatever you've got to pay. You can, you can get, the, get it in hardback. You can find it in single issues. 
And you can get it in trade paperback in like four volumes. It's absolutely worth it. I implore you, do not read Ultimates Volume 3. It will just let you down so hard. So that book, hard. That book was so bad. It, and like, even if like Ultimates 1 and 2 hadn't existed, it still would have sucked ass. Oh, it was ter- it was it was terrible, mm-hmm. and and the fact that Ultimates one and two actually does exist just makes it look like a um, why like every other page should end with like why are you reading this why did you pay for this yeah it <laughs> just doesn't terrible. make any sense to continue the franchise after that uh, after volume two nothing ever compared to how good those two stories were. It was why we have the MCU, flat out, I guarantee. When you walk into a studio exec's room and say, this is what we could do, look how crisp this artistry is, look at this story, look at the realism here. I mean, it was just incredible. It, the, it, the ult- it, it blew my mind. The Ultimates had one of the best lines ever they could... I wish they could have used in the movie, but obviously they couldn't when he's like, surrender. <laughs> Surrender. Oh my god. I know. <laughs> Does, you, you think do you this, think this a letter stands for freaking stands France? For France? <laughs> Dude, oh I read that god. issue and I was in the middle of an IHOP by myself and I made an audible whoop Woo! of some sort <laughs> sort. I was astonished. And I thought people were like staring me down. Nobody even noticed. But I looked around, I was like I had to share it with somebody. If I'd seen anyone in there in a comic book T-shirt, I would have talked to them about it. It was such like, an amazing moment. Agreed. Agreed. Like the like Bastion at the end of the Neverending Story when he has to put the book down and he's freaking out. Um, oh yeah. yeah. But like, but like, what makes me sad and um, it's it's a it's a sad reality was that these guys would be like, well, should we put that in there? Everyone wants it in there. But how much money are we actually making from the French audience? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the same thing when you think about how much China? money Red Dawn wanted to make in China, and so they switched it from being Chinese to North Korean, as if that would ever make any sense. Yeah. And it was a terrible movie anyways. It was a terrible, terrible remake. It, it, uh, it was a remake, remake, not original. Yeah, original the original movie, so... it's That's one of my favorite movies ever. You, you could not be a boy child in the 80s and see that and not imagine that life. I want and, to fight and, some and Russians. And I rewatch it so often <laughs> and as I get older it still takes on new meanings every single viewing. I wonder if uh, there's like a uh, Russian edit of that movie where like the Russians win <laughs> and like, all of a sudden there's like a bloop and like they've got a Patrick Swayze lookalike guy, <laughs> and the Russians uh, uh, take over and win. Uh, I would I would really like to see that. <laughs> I, if, they, if it's out there, let's watch it. So while we're on that topic, and I want to end on on this note of something I was I've been watching. I started watching The Man in the High Castle on Amazon Prime, and it is based off of a Philip K. Dick story. Uh, that was, it's, it's, uh, dude, it is, it is so good. I'm in the sixth episode. Uh, it's actually agonizing to be at work and not be able to continue watching this. It's uh, a story taking place in America in 1962. Uh, Nazi Germany controls 
the East Coast all the way half across Colorado. And then the Japanese Empire controls the Pacific states of America from the West Coast up to the western sides of the Rockies. And uh, there is a giant neutral zone in the mountains between them so that they don't have to come into contact with one another very often. Uh, I got to say, mad, mad respect to Joel De La Fuente playing uh, the Japanese Inquisitor-type character. Um, <clears throat> he has aged very well from when I used to watch him in Space Above and Beyond in the 90s on Fox. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite TV series. And, uh, yeah, I, it's just this is a high-drama story. You have a a Jewish character in the Pacific States whose whose families have whose family has an issue. Uh you know, he's got a girlfriend who is enamored suddenly of the concept that comes from a film reel that's going around depicting footage of a reality where the allies won the war. And you mean That's the Axis? Sorry? You mean the, the Axis, not no, the Allies? No, the Allies. The Allies. You're living in a world in this series that creates such an atmosphere that when I'm done watching it, I stand up and I'm like, I'm creeped out that there are Nazis keeping an eye on me. And like, uh, no, what I'm saying is that they live in the world where the Nazis and the Japanese Empire have control of the continent of the United States and they're seeing film reels show up secreted around the country of the allies having won the war, the flag being raised at Iwo Jima, uh, the sinking of Japanese aircraft carriers, VE day, um, the atomic bomb, etc. And nice. it's just, you know, their eyes are open to the possibility that they need to be involved with chipping away at the control that exists over their lives. And they were born into it. You know, they're they're in their 20s, they're in their 30s. And there's all these other people who were in the war and they're, they, they were soldiers or they died, you know. It's just astonishing. It's a great story. It was on, it, I mean, this is 2015 when this came out. And, uh... It's. I think it's fourth and final season came out uh, in 2018. It is totally snowing outside, I just realized. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I got to say, it's a fascinating show, The Man in the High Castle. Um, if you're into alternate histories, definitely something to check out. I feel like I'm coming in late on the bandwagon, but I just didn't have access to it for a long, long time. And I, I guess I could have found it on DVD. But I just kept thinking, I'm going to find somebody who's going to want to sit down and watch this with me. But at a certain point, give up worrying about that and just do what you want to do. Uh, so there you have it. Yeah. You got anything else, brother? No, man. That's it. I, uh, it's been – this has been a uh, – I love walking through the minefields with you, man. Dude, Matt, I have so much, so much love for you. Thank you so much. It's been a great show. Uh, I got to say, man, yeah, you are the best friend I've ever had. It just – this is this is an incredible thing for us to be doing, and and uh, I mean, what a relationship we've got, buddy. I love you, man. Love this you transmission is ending. Yep. This is dangerous. Over and out. Over and out.